Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. Good morning again, everyone. It's great to be here. Great to have the opportunity to open God's Word this morning. I think uh, our friends, the Huffs, are going to be here before too long, probably. They're back in the States from Mexico, so we'll get to hear about what's going on down there. So you may have seen on the sign outside that I was preaching this morning, and it was just entitled, what are you laughing at, Black? (laughs) It is funny, isn't it? (laughs) And it was entitled SMH. Now, if you're over 60... um, You may not be familiar with too many of those little acronyms that they use on Facebook. Uh, What does SMH mean? Yeah, you don't know. You're over 60. I know that. (laughs) Shaking my head. Any others? Tell me some of those acronyms that we use on Facebook. LOL. What's that mean? Laugh out loud. BTW. By the way. IDK. I see why am I? I see why am I? <laughs> In case you missed it. <laughs> okay. So I'm a little bit leery myself of using those acronyms. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that we had family home, my youngest son and his wife and kids. And sometimes when we're in the house, somebody will shoot around a group text in the house. I know that's dumb, but that's what we do. So we all got this group text and I answered it, SMH, and then a little bit of space. And I said, thinking, I hear this woman in the front room of the house burst out laughing as my daughter-in-law. And then my son burst out laughing. I said, what are you guys laughing at? SMH thinking, what does that mean? So you don't add anything else after SMH. But for me, it made sense because I was thinking uh, you could be SMH angry. You could be SMH frustrated. You could be SMH sad. Makes sense to me, but don't do it. Your kids will laugh at you. They do that enough anyway. What do you mean, what is it? Shaking my head. Weren't you listening? Shaking my head. So if somebody says something and you just can't believe it, you just say SMH. Don't say anything else, though. (laughs) Well, you would. You're over 60. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I'm careful using those uh, little acronyms. But I was reading this verse not too long ago, Matthew 23, 37, and I thought this must be how God looks at us sometimes. And he just is shaking his head. And he could be thinking, he could be angry, uh, he could be amazed at how dumb I am sometimes. So Matthew 23:37 says this, and my title in my Bible for this little section of Scripture is Phariseeism Exposed. Now, Phariseeism was just a form of religion. You know, they were the most spiritual ones uh, in the land, and... Uh, They didn't know Christ. They didn't have a relationship. Uh, They were just religious. 
and, and God and Christ hates religion. What he likes is relationship. And that's what he wants with each one of us. But anyway, they were religious people. They just did all the right stuff. You know, if you could earn your way to heaven, they were doing it all uh, right. So they thought. But here's what Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, 37. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now I'm reading it from the NASV. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted just to gather her children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. So for me, I pictured in heaven God looking down upon them at their unwillingness and their stubbornness, even though all the things that he'd done for them and just shaking his head. I mean, I can relate. And uh, what's it say that they did? Well, God kept reaching out to them, and it says that they killed the prophets that he sent. And it says that they uh, stoned those who were sent to them. Well, these are the same people who, on the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city, what did they shout out? What? Hosanna! 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 They said they were so excited that he was here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days later, these very same people were shouting out before Pilate, what? Crucify him! Crucify him! They couldn't stand the man. How crazy is that? God must have been in heaven shaking his head. Unbelievable. How could these people who praise him one day want to murder him the next day? Shaking his head. Well, God had some choice words for the Pharisees a little earlier on in the chapter. He calls them whitewashed tombs. They looked real good on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones. Probably stank, stunk, stinked. I don't know what it is, but they did. He called them a brood of serpents and vipers. And you see that again, what I said, he hates religion. And these were religious people. And you know, there are some people today, maybe some even here today in this church that are just religious. No relationship, just religious. Look good on the outside, but on the inside you stink. I'm sorry, that's just the way it, just the way it is. Well, I can picture God shaking his head and brokenhearted over uh, the children of Israel. Centuries of him reaching out to them and them saying, okay, yeah, we'll do what you say, and following him for a little bit, and then rejecting him again. And God could see that there was going to be pain and persecution uh, down through the years for Israel because of their stubbornness. And he can see that in our lives, too. He could see that because of their failure to acknowledge their Savior, they would suffer greatly, and many would be lost. And I know that it broke his heart, because he is the one who, who wants his best for his children. And as he looks down on us, if you belong to him, he wants his best for you. Israel chose religion over faith in the Messiah. And this is a choice that we all face even today. You can have a religion of a lot of different things. You could have a religion of church. You just come every Sunday so you can check the box. Maybe you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday evening. And you check the box. But you're just religious. You, you got it all on the outside, but on the inside, um, you don't have it. This picture that we have up here this morning, somebody sent that to me on Facebook this week, and I thought it was so good. People go to church, 
and they think they're doing the right thing. And I'm glad you're here today, but you could be going to church all of your life and you could be like the ones falling off the cliff because you never had a relationship. You just have religion. Let me read this to you. You may have been born in the church, baptized in the church, served in church. You could have been married in the church, died in the church, and still end up in hell because you were only in the church and not in Christ. Wow. That's, that's condemnation right there. And that hits home. All your life you could be in the church, but not in Christ, and you could wind up in hell. It's necessary to be born again, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Many have religion, but have no relationship with the living God. Solemn words. So you could be worshiping the religion of the church. You could be worshiping the religion of self. That's a big thing today. You know, people are all about me and uh, taking care of me and doing whatever makes me happy. Uh, I have my own truth. You have your truth. And let me pick out the things that fit the life I want to live. And uh, those other things I'll just disregard. Uh, we believe that there's one truth, and it's uh, found in the Word of God. You can follow the religion of lust. A lot of people do that today, and it's an easy one to, to follow today. Power. Wow, just look at our government. What do they say about power? Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, we see that. You can follow the religion of money. I'm going to live this life and just accumulate all the glittering things this world has to offer. And you accumulate all that stuff and it never satisfies the need that God has placed in every person's heart. You see, God arranges your life circumstances in mine uh, for one purpose, and that's to draw you near to him. Uh, he paints a canvas of your life. Sometimes he uses these delicate little brush strokes and he puts this in there. It'd be like Bob Ross. I'll put a pretty little thing over here and... Some of you don't know who Bob Ross is. You're like, who's Bob Ross? Well, look him up on, uh, on uh, whatever you use. I use, what do I use? <laughs> I don't use uh, Bing, and I don't use uh, Google, thank you. DuckDuckGo. Yeah, DuckDuckGo doesn't trace you in any way, so that's the one to use as a search engine. See, I do know some things. <clears throat> But anyway, sometimes God paints with those little delicate strokes, and it's all because he's, he's wooing you to himself. And sometimes when you don't respond to his wooing, and he's shaking his head, he gets out the big brush, and he flops a glob of paint on your life, and it can be a very painful thing. But it's all because he's drawing you to himself. Uh, why do we resist? Why would you resist a loving father who only wants good for you? That's the question, isn't it? And that's the one that causes him to stand in heaven and shake his head. Shaking his head, just wondering, sad, brokenhearted. You see, he does these things in our lives and we resist and we resist and we resist and we resist. And why is that? It's because we're sinful. Uh, we all have sinful hearts. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, <clears throat> But sometimes we stop resisting and we give in. And when we give in and, and we listen to what he's saying, uh, he blesses us. So I want to tell you a little bit about my giving in. Uh, some of you have known me for a while and you know a little bit about me, but there's some things you probably don't know about me. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, and, uh, but I was brought up with morals and character. And I said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir, and... 
and uh, I was a teacher's pet. You know, I was always doing uh, nice things for uh, the people who were over me. Got to high school, and and I was just one selfish, self-consumed, egotistical, uh, I might say typical uh, young man, full of himself. Wanted nothing to do with the things of God, with uh, church, and I had an issue when I, I went to college. Uh, went to college, and, and God kept sending these people across my path who seemed to want to talk about Jesus. And I'm just like, good grief, why do these people keep coming around? Uh, because I avoided them like the plague. If I saw somebody coming down the street that I knew was a churchgoer or wanted to talk to me about Jesus, I would go to the other side of the street. If they'd come into work, I'd go out back. <clears throat> uh, I remember one time... Uh, there was a man that used to come to work all the time. He wanted to talk about Jesus because my mom always wanted to talk about Jesus. She got saved sometime during that period of my life. And this man was a little touched in the head. Some of you might have known John Brockman. Robin, you probably remember John Brockman. They said, yeah, John's a little touched. Well, he was. Uh, he'd been in Vietnam, and I think it probably messed him up. And he might have been messed up before that. But you know what? Uh, he was touched. And he was touched in his heart because Jesus touched his heart and he saved John Brockman. He would come into work and want to tell me about Jesus. And I just hated to see him come. And he came all the time. Well, one day he came in and he told me, he says, you know, John, he says, uh, you're a sinner. And he says, you're going to go to hell. Well, I thought, what in the world is he doing telling me I'm going to hell? I said, well, what about you? You're fat. Isn't, isn't that gluttony a sin? Can you believe it? I know that I would say that, Lori. It's just hard to believe. <clears throat> he was a big man. Uh, I remember one time John pulled his shirt up one day. He was a big man. And he showed me where he'd been wounded in Vietnam. He had a bullet hole in the front and an exit hole in the back. And, uh, you know, a lot of things happened in his life that could really mess him up. But Jesus uh, loved John Brockman. And, and he loved to talk about Jesus. It was just really something. After I became a Christian, I enjoyed uh, visiting with John. So anyway, uh, so anyway, I just hated it when God would send these people across my path. I went away to college, <clears throat> and I remember my freshman year, my roommate, who was a genius, uh, he's now an orthodontist. He's probably retired by now. I'm pretty old. But, but anyway, uh, he called this guy to come over to our room in the dorm to help him with chemistry. And I was like, no, don't call him. Uh, it was Dr. Howell's son. And Dr. Howell is a fine Christian doctor in this town. And Andy, his son, was a fine Christian man. And I told my roommate, I said, whatever you do, don't let him in the room. He'll want to talk to us about Jesus. And so he came to the door. And I'm like, oh, no. And, and uh, my roommate, he didn't let him in the room. He made him stand there in the hallway and work on these chemistry problems outside while he stood in the door. I was just so thankful he didn't come in. <clears throat> well, uh, my mom had a little old lady friend that lived down there in Columbia, and she would call me all the time, too, Christian lady, want me to come to dinner. And I'm just like, oh, these people leave me alone. Uh, I didn't want to go to dinner with that little old lady either. So I lived the typical college life, and I, I believe it really is typical. I just uh, I drank, and I smoked weed, and I chased women, and, and just partied, and <clears throat> it was all about me and satisfying my carnal desires. So in my sophomore year, uh, we got to move off campus. You had to live on campus one year. 
So I was going to move off campus. And I thought, yeah, babies, no part, no, nobody watching over me. Uh, party time, just going to have a great time. Uh, but, you know, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He knew where I was moving. I wish he didn't have my address. <clears throat> so early that fall semester, we had a snowstorm. And I was out in front of my apartment, and I, I'm a little bit artsy. I'm a florist and a, a landscaper, and, you know, I'm kind of artsy. So I built this snow woman in my front yard. And I don't want to cause anybody to stumble, but I would just say that she was replete with all the details <laughs> and color, if you can imagine. <clears throat> so I had built this creation in my front yard, and this little car pulls up to the curb in front of my apartment. And I thought, what a wimpy car. It was a little Toyota Tercel. I've always been kind of a car guy. Guy pulls over there and <clears throat> rolls his window down, and I stand back so he can see my beautiful creation. Walk over to the car door. He says, uh, hey, I just want to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Mark, and my wife Gail and I are your new neighbors. Now, I can just imagine God being up in heaven, looking at Jesus and saying, now watch this. <laughs> Wait till you see the look on his face when he hears this next statement. And so uh, I'm, I'm Mark. Uh, my wife Gail and I are your new neighbors, and we're head of Campus Life Ministries. <laughs> are you kidding me? What in the world? I moved off campus to get away from everybody, and, and, and God puts the head of Campus Life Ministries next door to me as my new neighbor. I couldn't believe it. So what does he say? He says, uh, listen, uh, we're having some folks over for dinner. Uh, George. <laughs> George. I'm laughing too. Oh, he says, we're having some folks over for dinner and a few games and Bible study. Would you like to come? <laughs> I moved over in front of his window so he couldn't see my naked snow lady anymore. I was a little embarrassed. <clears throat> What could I say? I couldn't say, oh, I don't need that Bible. I'm a good man. Well, no, I couldn't say that. So I said, sure, I'll come. Well, I thought of every excuse in the book to miss that dinner date. Dinner, games, are you kidding me? And then Bible study? Well, I, I wound up going. And uh, we, we had dinner and we did play some stupid games. And we had Bible study, and of course they wanted me to come back regularly. Well, that was the beginning of my journey of uh, weekly Bible studies. And uh, he happened to know a lot of other people on campus. He let him in on this guy that uh, had built this naked snow woman, and he was reaching out to for Christ. These people would call me all the time and want to meet with me between classes so we could have a little Bible study. And... And okay, my heart was beginning to change, and I, I would meet with him, but all the time I was still living just a wretched, sinful life. And uh, God was no doubt standing in heaven, SMH, shaking his head. Look at that guy, still resisting. Well, God did what God will do, and he brought a crisis into my life because of my sinful lifestyle. And it was bad. And had it come to pass, I guarantee you I would not be standing right here today. I'd be uh, somewhere else. Might be dead. I don't know. But it, this crisis would have changed my life for the worst uh, if something didn't happen. See, he worked the circumstances of my life to bring me to my knees. 
to recognize that I was a sinful man in need of a wonderful Savior. <clears throat> so I, I cried out to him, and I said, Oh, God, uh, if you'll get me out of this crisis, we got one of those prayers. If you'll just get me out of this. But I meant it because I, it was bad. And you know what? Uh, I cried out to him. I said, I'll follow you. You can have my life if you'll get me out of this mess. You see, I was a sinner, and I was undone. Uh, and I said to him, I need you to save me. And you know what he says? <clears throat> he says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. He saved me as soon as I called out to him. And you know what? He didn't have to deliver me from that crisis, but he did. John 5, 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word, and I was hearing it, you know, whether I wanted it or not, and believes on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but he's passed from death to life. I love that phrase, passed from death to life. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was me. He gave me a new life. And you see, all of us, we have to go through that. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life when you passed from death to life? There needs to be a time in your life when you pass from death to life. You hath he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Somebody said, God doesn't want to make bad men good but he wants to make dead men alive. And that's what he did for me that day when I cried out to him. So the burden of all my sins that he'd made me aware of, the burden of that crisis that had come into my life, it was lifted off of my back. And I tell you what, it was like a ton of bricks just raised up and I felt like a new person. He changed me. <clears throat> he delivered me out of my crisis when he didn't have to. So that began my journey of discipleship and uh, growing as a new Christian. So, uh, believe it or not, uh, these people that came into my life and wanted to disciple me as a young Christian, uh, one of them invited me to his house for dinner every week to study God's Word and to have a meal, a home-cooked meal. Now, if you've been to college, those home-cooked meals, are they're all right. You know who it was? It was the guy who came to my dorm room door uh, to help my friend with chemistry. Can you believe it? You think God doesn't have a sense of humor? Uh, it was Andy Howe. Now, Andy, he, he and his wife were, man, they were dirt poor. I remember going to their house the first time and seeing him come to the door. He had a T-shirt on that was all yellow from age, you know, and had holes around the collar. Uh, they didn't have much money, but they cared enough about Christ and this young believer uh, that they sacrificed to have me to their house every week and to teach me. And they weren't the only ones or a number. And that just, I want you to understand how important discipleship is for all of us uh, to be willing to teach young people and uh, new believers uh, the word of God and the way that they should walk. <clears throat> I was blessed by so many like that. John 3.36 says this. This is one of the first verses I memorized and meant so much to me. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not believe has not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And man, that verse was so true to me at the time, because what that means by the wrath of God abiding on you, on him, is that there's this big storm cloud roiling in the sky above your head. 
and it's full of lightning and thunder and wind. And every time you sin, that cloud just gets worse and bigger and more uh, roiling. And it's waiting to fall on you if you never come to Christ. It's going to fall on you in judgment because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And that day will come for every one of us unless we believe. So uh, he took that cloud out from above my head, that little baby that came to be born in a manger. He came to bear the sins of the world and he bore mine. <clears throat> Let's see. First Peter uh, 2.24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You were continually straying like sheep. God shaking his head. You were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And for me, it was like, welcome home, John, a sinner who's now saved. And that made me think of an old song. Some of you might know the old hymn. It says, oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in the, thine ocean depths, its flow may richer, fuller be. You see, you don't know life until you know life in Christ. You think you have a good life? Life in Christ is more than you can imagine. You'll never be as satisfied as you will when you live life with Christ. So, friends, the question has to be asked in all of our lives, uh, when were you made alive? Do you have a testimony? Can you tell of a time in your life when you were changed and you passed from death to life? It's an important question. John 3, 3 says, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. There won't be a dead man in heaven. Everybody in heaven will have been made alive. So the choice is, will you bow the knee in this life uh, in humble submission to that Savior? Or will you be forced to bow the knee one day and it'll be too late for you? He longs to gather you under his wings and protect you and nurture you. And uh, the question is, well, will you resist? How long will you resist? How long will God stand in heaven and shake his, heads, his head because you resist? Well, should you choose to come, should you choose to be born again and have that new life, uh, what will it cost you to come? Well, you say it doesn't cost anything. It's a free gift. And that's true. The Bible says it's a gift of God, and it is. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. To gain eternal life is a free gift, but to live the Christian life can be very costly. Just ask Paul, Paul, what's it cost uh, to live the Christian life? Well, Paul said, well, uh, beatings without number. Uh, I was in danger of death. Uh, five times I received 39 lashes, which was one less than what would probably kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I suffered hunger and thirst, suffered cold and exposure. And then after he says all that, and you think, wow, that's horrible. Then he says, and I had to care for the church. <laughs> it's like, that's the worst thing. I had to care for the church. I'll tell you what, the people that are shepherds of the, the church have a great load to carry. And we as a church can make it lighter or heavier. And uh, I pray that we would make it lighter uh, for David, our shepherd here. 
What if you ask the Muslim woman who leaves the Muslim faith to profess Christ as her savior? Well, do you know what they'll do with her? They'll take her out in the desert and they'll bury her up to her neck in the sand and they'll stone her to death. You know what the ideal size of stone is? Not just a little pebble. It's like a baseball size. And uh, can you imagine being stoned to death? Stoned to death because you love Jesus? Happens all the time. Happens all the time today uh, in many places. I just heard this week about the 17 missionaries in Haiti. I think they were probably um, Mennonites. I heard them sing on the radio. And nobody can sing a cappella like the Mennonites. But anyways, these 17 missionaries to Haiti were kidnapped by the mobs or the gangs down there. They were kept for two months in a 10 by 12 room. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to spend two months in a 10 by 12 room with uh, my best friends. And if we brought Robin in, we wouldn't fit. So <laughs> you know what I said that they did in those two months? They, they shared their faith with the gangs that captured them, and they sang songs. And the song that they played on the radio of them singing was Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him, and he delivers them. And they were delivered. Uh, the Lord impressed upon them that they were, tried going, they were supposed to try and escape a certain way. And they found a way to unlock the door and to sneak out past all the guards. And it says they trunged. They trudged uh, through thorns and just a rough going barefoot for I don't know how long, uh, but they were rescued. So, you know, we say, is, is, will the Christian life cost you anything? Yeah, it could be really costly. <clears throat> what does it cost to be a Christian? Well, I'll tell you, I've lost two of my best friends uh, to cancer and uh, was by their side in their dying days. And it was just, it was a, it was an awful experience, but it was an amazing experience. And you would say, well, why would God take uh, men who love Jesus in such a way and make them suffer and die that kind of death? And uh, here's, the, here's one of the reasons is that these men, their testimony in dying was greater than anything they could have had in living. Uh, one of them was Jeff Wilkerson. Many of you remember Jeff. And the other was Derek Sturgis. And those men, when they had cancer and were dying, would call people to come to their house solely for the purpose of telling them about Jesus because they wanted them to know Christ before it was too late for them. You see, those trials, those crises that God allows in our lives, they sharpen our focus. They give you a different way of looking at things. And uh, those two men were just a great example uh, in dying, and he used their suffering to draw people to himself. Was it hard for them? Oh, man. I'll tell you, it was hard. Uh, was it hard for their loved ones? Horrible. Uh, was it worth it? Well, those men now are living a life in glory that just cannot be compared to anything that we have down here. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that the things which eye has not seen nor ear heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that has got, God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even begin to think of it. If you could think of it, this verse would not be true because it says those, you can't even think of anything as good as what heaven's going to be. So it was worth it. There's a song like that. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Okay, just a couple more things and we'll, we'll finish here. I have a little... 
devotional from Alistair Begg. I don't know if any of you listen to him on the radio. Great, great Bible teacher. He's a Scot Scottish guy or Irish. He's got that brogue, you know. He's fun to listen to. The Christmas servant, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says this, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The story of the servant, the little baby that we see in the manger, the story of the servant is not a story, it's not about what we must do, but about what Jesus has done. He came down into the dungeon, into our enslavement, into our blindness. And he said, you've failed and broken the law and you are entirely unable to rectify your condition. But I save sinners. I open blind eyes. I release captives. I bring light. I have done everything required for you. Turn to me in simple faith and childlike trust and you will see. You'll be free and your darkness will give way to sunshine. The one who has done all this is the one that you're gazing at as you consider that familiar nativity scene. Never let it fail to move you and inspire you to praise and worship the divine son who came as our servant. And one more thing by Tim Keller. Tim Keller wrote The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Is that right? No? Different Keller. Okay, Philip Keller. That's a good book. Tim Keller is a great uh, Bible teacher also. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you're not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. To accept the true Christmas gift, you have to submit. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You need to be saved by grace. Amen? Amen. So let's quit. Whether you're an unbeliever who needs to know Jesus, you can come to him today. Whether you're a believer who just needs to walk closer to him, let's quit giving God a reason to SMH. What is it? Shaking my head. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do that probably daily. He's reaching out to me all the time, wanting to draw me closer. And I resist and he shakes his head, but he keeps loving me and working with me. So let's pray. And if you're here today and you don't have that relationship, you've just had a religion, I want you to come down here and I want you to uh, let me pray with you if you'd like to receive Christ. If you're a Christian who's struggled with that walk and you've not been what you should be, I'd be glad to pray with you. And any of the deacons here would be glad to do the same. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the truth and that Jesus is the truth, the way and the life. And we thank you for the offer of new life. We thank you, Father, that all of us who were dead could be made alive by putting our faith in him. Speak to our hearts. Father, may we not forget the truth of your word and allow you to work your way in our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.